I'm getting a PlayStation 5. It's coming tomorrow. <laughs> or no, it's coming on Thursday. I'm so excited. By this time next week, when this show airs, I will have a PlayStation 5. The wow. future well, is now. I am the future. I have it in my hands almost. So here's a question. If I purchased a PlayStation 5... And you couldn't because you're not elite like me, but whatever. What I have money. Is that, isn't that Money's what you need? Money's not good enough. You need what else? You need, you need the the stupidity <laughs> to stay up until four a.m. clicking the same button over and over again on the Best Buy are, website. So are you implying that I your that I couldn't just go and through. I couldn't just buy one right now? I mean, you probably could, but you'd have to, you know, go to the black market. All right. Well, my my question was more about <laughs> should I should I hypothetically buy one of these? Could do is there like a thing where like I could buy Tekken and we could play Tekken remotely? Um, we could play Tekken remotely on a much cheaper option than the PlayStation <laughs> Five, and they just rewrote the netcode. Um, and it's getting rave reviews. Like it used to be that if you wanted to play someone in Thailand, like one of you would be throwing like <laughs> one of you would be doing like Paul's overhead hammer smash thing, and it would just pause like halfway through the attack while someone else hit you with four kicks. Like it was bad, but now you can play someone in Thailand and you can just kick their ass in real time. You know, as fascinating as it sounds to play someone in Thailand, I'm more <laughs> interested in playing my friends. That's that's what I have going on here. I, I also don't know what content I would be like. You're buying the platform, and then you also want to buy the games, and I don't know what games there are that I necessarily want to play on that platform. This is a conversation for another time because I don't think people PlayStation are Five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you ready to go? say this i will say this for people who are keeping track i'm getting the new spider-man game and they give you bug snacks for free bug snacks is a game in which you go around an island and you capture these bugs that are also foods so like the french fry spider or whatever and um, then you feed it to some walruses and the walruses their appendages change into the food that they ate uh, having, uh, I, I think I, I glanced away for a second and then glanced back and somehow my brain, I think it's like, still over there is what is the objective of bug snacks? Catch them all. I don't know. I don't know. It apparently has a really good story though. So I'm excited to play it. But what I'm more excited to play is Assassin's Creed Valhalla because you know, you get to be a Viking. Vikings are cool. I concur with that statement. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a neat one. Um, I played the last three of them, and they were all pretty good, but they're really long. That's the only problem. They're interminably long. And uh, I have to edit this podcast every week because I'm the only one who knows how to do this stuff. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how. You contribute nothing. <laughs> well, I, I would I like to think of myself as contributing something. Yes. It may not be enough. Yours. Let's just say my contributions may not be um uh, I may not be pulling my own weight, but I am still pulling. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. I am the host, Sabrina Ray. With me 
Dawn, lovely, <laughs> handsome, useless. <laughs> I, I I wish I had prettied myself up for the occasion. Now uh, I feel doubly useless. Oh wait, look look at what I wrote. I didn't even use what I wrote. Yokoso Nakamoto podcast anime with friends. I am Sabrina the Ray, first of my name, daughter of the abyss, master of the five tongues. Speak, taste, spit, tie a cherry stem into a knot. Also stick out as a raspberry. With me is Dawn. What? You, I mean, you must. You clearly did write that. Like, but it was I, revenge the, for last week. I love the throwback to uh, to to Game of Thrones when it turns out that you know being Khaleesi is in fact a horrible, terrible thing. Yeah, man, they ruined that show. Oh no! If we go into that, if we go into it's that, true. that's, that's not... its whole podcast by itself. Um, All right. So, what have you been doing this week? Uh, so I have been obsessing over the election, which should uh, the, this is of course the election in the United States of America right. that recently took place, um, and uh, I, I would say that I was very interested in the outcome of the election, um, and uh, I, I guess I'm still in some ways interested in the outcome of the election. <laughs> Uh, because it does not appear to be a foregone conclusion at this point. But I I think that things are trending in the right direction. Um, it's just a very uh, exciting time to be living in America, in my opinion. And I say that in the same way that that old Chinese proverb slash curse, may you live in, yes, in, I think it was interesting times there, but I don't know, it's translation anyway. <sighs> Unfortunately. How about you? Well... We didn't record last week, so I watched The Queen's Gambit, which was amazing. It was on Netflix. It stars Anya Taylor-Johnson, who was in um, The Witch. She's so good. And she's so good in The Queen's Gambit. And it's, it's just like, she's like awkward. And it's like her coming of age story as she like uh, goes from like this um, traumatized math. Like she inherits her mother's like math genius she's traumatized by the the loss of her mother and she's an orphan and she goes through sort of like this um fumble she 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 learns to play chess from the janitor in the basement and like she's she's put on these like tranquilizers uh because it's a period piece that takes place i guess somewhere around the 1950s uh it starts at and then it goes into sort of through the age of the 60s as she's growing up so well, you're not the first person to speak uh, positively about this uh, in my circle. I am curious, is this something, uh, what's, is this like a, is this an adult I would say, I would piece? say, is I it... would say in this case it's definitely for adults in that, just in that um, it's about substance abuse as well. Uh, okay. She's an alcoholic and she, she has a spiral, she spirals out. And until you're ready to have that conversation about addiction with your kids, uh, I would avoid... I am pretty frank with my kids about a lot of things. I will say, however, that I don't want to go down that road until I absolutely have to. Um, yeah, they'll figure it out. I'm just saying, like... Uh, yeah. It's... No, it's like, for example, Mindhunter. You ever watch Mindhunter? Yes, yes. Mindhunter Great is fantastic. Show. Not a show I want to watch with my kids, no, really. No, it's to... very dirty. <laughs> well, just... Yeah, it delves into a side of the world that i don't feel they need to be fully exposed to yet that's not coming back i heard it's been like permanently postponed because uh david fincher says it's really hard to make and he doesn't want to do it did i did they do a season two they did they did a season yeah, two so with I, char i with, never 
Yeah, I never caught up on season it's two, Charlie so Manson. I guess I have that at me. Yeah. You should watch it. It's still good, even if it's never coming back. Like because it takes place over so many years, and because they're, it's you know how they build up the BTK killer across like two seasons. Hmm. Well, the show is in real time, so they don't technically catch the BTK the BTK killer. They don't like zero in on him until like the nineties, right? Right. So we're never getting there. No, we might have gotten there if they jumped the show they, all the way to the 90s, but it's it's almost like it's it's better if they never deal with it, if it's just something that's happening in the background and and sort of like you're seeing how all these like ideas that formed the FBI came together, I guess. I will say that uh, one other thing I've been doing is trying to put to bed um, Inuyasha. Yeah, you talk uh, about it every I, week. Uh, well, you asked me what I've been doing, and I've made it finally to yeah. Inuyasha, the, the final chapter, the final acts, or whatever it is. And? I will say that I found it jarring that some of the voice actors are not the same, and I felt that uh, the difference was palpable, and in fact, it felt sort of... I felt a loss, as if an old friend had passed... <sighs> In the, uh, it just it just didn't feel right. Like Kagome does not sound right to me, and I'm, I just feel like this is not the right Kagome. Like I'm like, yeah, it's Kagome, but I don't really care what happens to this chick. Um, <laughs> in the same way that I felt about, even though, and I mean, the animation is very similar. There's not a lot of differences, and I also there was a couple of other things where I was kind of like, this is a little disjointed. Um, so it's been very interesting watching the evolution, um, and. Uh, my, I commented to my wife after we were talking about how you know, the show don't tell style of anime and she's, she does not watch this. So what has been happening recently is I've been watching and she's been working on a, a puzzle, okay, a, a, a jigsaw puzzle. And, uh, I mentioned this show don't tell theme and how Inuyasha is terrible about that. And her back is normally to the screen. Uh, and she said at some point, like, Boy, this show really is bad at that. She said, I've followed everything that's gone on in every episode. I have barely had to look at the screen or pay any attention because they keep recapping literally everything that's happening every moment of the show. Yeah. Um, it's been so long since I've seen it. And I, I really, I read it. I read the manga more than I watched the show. So I don't have the, sim- I don't have the same complaints as you might, but... Um, I don't blame you. The last thing um, I want to say about The Queen's Gambit is if you want a oh, show please. where, like, you triumph with the hero as they vanquish their foe this is the show for you they're not even foes but like you know she's a woman in a man's sport basically competing against men and she's so much better than them in a lot of ways but her own personal demons and her own arrogance get in her way sometimes but when she comes through it's like you're just like so pumped to see it happen well, it kind of sounds like you're describing Bobby Fischer, who, although is not a woman, uh, was in fact a chess uh, savant. They have a character um, that's partially based on that, I think, in the show. And well, they honestly, also, the way you described it, you basically described Bobby Fischer. They also based her partially on Bobby Fischer. She's she is a fictional character. This is based on a novel. So, uh, I was trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, I. I love chess and I'm I'm very interested. Uh, I'll definitely have to check it out. I was never good at it and you were one of my first opponents and I think that's why I've never wanted to play Oh yeah, it again. I'm not very like I when I play chess with my kids, I would never not play to win, so the solution is for me to remove pieces from my side of the board to make it more equitable. You never did uh, that for me, but that's okay. No, because you are not 
my children. Are you sure? <laughs> Maybe intellectually chess-wise you are a child, but that is not, uh, <laughs> not I think, what you were implying here. Azoken, the show Azoken. about three girls making anime. Anime. I keep saying it wrong. I mean, we're going to get crucified for that. Uh, you will. I mean, I can just pretend to be a yokel. Yeah, you um, can. But you, <laughs> you should know better. All right, we're covering episode seven and episode eight. And episode seven is called I Have to Do It Myself. And it it's basically our Mizusaki episode. Dawn, you want to take us into this one? It's a flashback to her and her life. I'm sorry. It's all uh, right. One moment. You're not supposed to make noise. My wife is apologizing in the background as she She pops doesn't have champagne. to apologize. It's your anniversary. Yeah, I knew, but we are, you know. Yes, you're you're go ahead. Go ahead and pour. Pour pour one out for for um so I'm double mugging it while you waste my time. Yes, I can see that. I'm sorry. So what is um I have to do it for myself all about? It's it's really sort of explains her whole backstory and how she got into um, how basically the the animation has always been something that fascinated her as a as a person like as a child and um, I thought that the the scenes that they had in Azoken were very compelling that they they were a perfect example of storytelling in that the scenes with her grandmother and the the swirling of the tea and the throwing it and, and how she was fascinated with that as a child and then you see her again at um ballet class and she's off in the corner scribbling and she's looking at how people move and or i guess it wasn't ballet class it was um sort of like a it was like modeling, a woman's finishing modeling school training. yeah modeling thank you that that's what it was and so she's she's looking at how people stand up and trying to understand like how do the mechanics of that work what is going on with the slow stand up what how does that make characters move and it does i just feel like izoken does so well what other educational shows should aspire to be it's not it doesn't feel educational at the same time that I feel like you are learning so much and it is exciting and interesting in that journey. What I liked about this scene that you're referring to, or this series of scenes that sort of lead up to a payoff towards the end, is that Mizusaki at first appears just to be sort of fascinated by the way the world moves and the physics of objects, the the way that she makes her grandmother keep throwing the soup it's it's almost obsessive and tea or the, tea. I'm sorry the tea the way that she keeps throwing the tea and she watches the way it falls and everything and and then when she's at the modeling school she's she's being instructed on how to stand up and show different versions of that like there's like the fast stand up where you're going straight from sitting to standing and then there's the one where you lean forward and she bashes her head against a wall cuz she's she's trying to look in a mirror to see what it looks like The other kids are doing it, but she's getting something different from it. And what I liked about it was that she was taking these lessons she was learning from TV and from her instruction and from just observation, and she was applying them to help her grandmother with her mobility issues because her grandmother um, must have had a bad hip. That's what it seemed like to me. I don't know how you read it, but... 
And, oh, uh, I, I was wondering if she hadn't suffered like an illness or something. Or a and that's stroke why she maybe or something like getting, that. Yeah, having trouble getting around. Um, and the, the, the mechanics of walking and having the head sway side to side. It was all, I mean, I just, some of the most beautiful and compelling work that Izoken has done as a series, in my opinion. Just showing the natural progression of this character and also this this wonderful interaction of, of granddaughter and, and grandmother, which takes place in this beautiful, I don't know, house in, in the... Yeah, it's sort of a traditional Japanese-style house with paper yeah. sliding doors that open out onto a garden. It's something that we've seen in other anime, even. Uh, that's almost the same style house as we saw in Weathering With You when he goes to visit Taki's grandmother. Yes, you're right. It's interesting. There's a lot of um, grandmother's boys, grandmother's girls in anime that we've watched for this for this show. Wise old grandmothers. Summer Wars was about the girl who was basically closer to her grandmother than she was to her own mother, it seemed. Yes. It really gets to the heart of who... You you really feel after watching this that you understand why Misusaki is so compelled to anime, even though she's clearly has a a very promising start as a as a model and actress, and is already established more so than many people ever get to be in that sort of field. Like she she has name draw just by herself. Um, but she just wants to be in the back room somewhere trying to to master the particular um, animation of a, of a scene or an action. Um, but now you understand why. And now you can see how it's just been a compelling force her entire life. And yeah. It's, and it comes do... together. It comes together in the moment when in the, in the anime that they end up making with the giant robot and the crab in the opening scene, the... I don't know what they are exactly, but those guys are gathered around eating crab and a, 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 like a, an alarm goes off and they have to like throw out their soup. And it's actually in the scene, the, the movement of the soup through the air and into the thing. And, and one thing that Mizusaki keeps saying throughout the series is that those who know will appreciate it, or at least they'll understand that something is happening different that that there was effort put in here beyond what is there was care yeah there was care and that we also see that when they have the screening of the of the anime during certain scenes where mizusaki spent like extra time to get her animations her (laughs) look now i'm pronouncing animation (laughs) as animations because that's the confusing world we live in you're damned if you do damned if you don't (laughs) some of the scenes where she spent time with putting in care for her animations uh they kind of give a quizzical look like "Hmm, i noticed something And, and like that's sort of her victory um both episodes actually are sort of mizusaki's episodes because we've it's strange how quickly they dealt with this, but the whole tension of the series so far in the background has been Mizusaki's not supposed to be making anime. Her parents forbid her in the first episode. And so we just assumed that this tension would be drawn out a little bit more. Maybe there'd be some false, like uh, some uh, false alarms, you know? So like, mm-hmm. I, that's what I thought when I was watching these originally. And instead, it gets resolved at the end of episode eight. 
Well, and I was very worried that the that the tension they were creating related to M- Misusaki doing the animation and her parents disapproving was going to resolve in her being torn away or some some sort of artificial drama. I don't know. It's artificial drama. No, I like that word because there's no artificial drama in any of this. Like, remember, like, you would think that she would be like, I'm a serious animator. I don't want to be a model. I don't want to use my model, like, talents to sell this thing. Like, there's very little pushback in the things that she does. Whereas if you were telling, like, a traditional dramatic story you would use those moments to create tension between her and Kanamori or her and Asakusa. And like, you would have that be the resolution of like episode seven. And then you'd have the parents be the resolution of episode eight, but it doesn't work that way at all. It's like, it, they just sort of do what they have to do because they love it. Yeah. I also feel like you is a great example of, again, I'll use the word artificial because it's lazy. It, you yeah. to have that sort of conflict arise is a very easy way to have conflict in a particular narrative um, and to to fall back on tropes that that don't really add a lot of nuance to characters even though as they purport to do so um, mostly because it's all been done before that's the concern and yeah. that doesn't happen here you know what we get is really an example of how you know they they want to get this done and instead they are working together they're all working together as opposed to working at cross purposes and you know misusaki is all on board with using whatever ability she has and in fact when she finds out her parents are coming she is she is trepidatious but she's all you know she's gonna do it all um and i i just I really liked the way they handled it. And I loved the fact, and I, maybe I'm jumping ahead too far, that, but that her parents saw all of this and they're like, oh, yeah, this is good. This is good and we approve. <laughs> we are not going yeah, to rip this away from sweet. her. It's very sweet. It's very sweet. And I mean, like, that's exactly what you want. You want parents should see the things that their children are genuinely interested in and good at because... I think everybody would agree, or at this point, if you're not, unless you're not watching the same anime that I'm watching, uh, you know, Misusaki is good at this. She is producing quality product. And if you go into that and see the love and care put into this product and see the result and realize that it is good and promising, then every parent should say, in my opinion, great job. I am proud of you. If this is, you know, if, if you want to spend time doing this, you should continue. So you brought up an interesting point that uh, a lot of drama, a lot of stories are artificially dramatic. And it reminded me of the movie Adaptation, which is, it was written by Charlie Kaufman, who's one of my favorite movie write, uh, script writers. And it was directed by Spike Jones, And it's about, it's basically almost a biography a, a, a false biography of Charlie Kaufman trying to adapt a book about flowers. <laughs> and he's trying to find the drama in it. And he attends a screenwriting, like uh, a script writing seminar 
with this guy named McKee, who's not played by the actual McKee, but is played by an actor. Every every person who's ever tried to write a script has probably picked up like his book. I can't remember the name of it, but you you definitely know Robert McKee if I if you <laughs> if you've ever tried to write a screenplay and sought resources to do so. So I'm going to read you from that really quickly. Kaufman, who's played by Nicolas Cage, like stands up and he's like, you talked about crisis as the ultimate decision a character makes. But what if a writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change, they don't have any epiphanies, they struggle and are frustrated and nothing is resolved, you know, like more of a reflection of the real world. And McKee is like, the real world? The real fucking world? First of all, if you write a screenplay without conflict or crisis, you'll bore your audience to tears. Secondly, nothing happens in the real world? Are you out of your fucking mind? People are murdered every day. There's genocide and war and corruption. Every fucking day somewhere in the world, somebody sacrifices his life to save someone else. Every fucking day, someone somewhere makes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love. People lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches her mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Somebody else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life, then you, my friend, don't know much about life. And why the fuck... Are you taking up my precious two hours with your movie? I don't have any use for it. I don't have any bloody use for it. <laughs> so. And then he sits down and he goes, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, um, do you think that Isoken does enough to replace what that artificial drama with something genuine and that you can attach yourself to? Yes, and for a couple of reasons, um, one is that Izoken is not fundamentally about reeling from crisis to crisis. The, the girls certainly face challenges that they need to resolve. For sure. But if you look at the narrative that we've seen so far, the arc across these eight episodes, it's about girls who get together to form an anime club. They form the anime club, they produce a couple of pieces, and it's about their trials and tribulations that are on the way. Now, with a lot of a lot of things thrown in there, but like the idea is excuse me, it's not about it's murder. Not about creating an, yeah, no, it's not about like the it's there's no shock value to it. It is a it is it still reflects childhood innocence in the fact that these are yeah. young girls who are still growing into their world and you've still got like um asaksa who is prone to these wild flights of fancy and is you know fencing imaginary demons whatever it might happen to be like you know imagining herself in a tank rumbling around the scene where she and um uh where she's trapped on the roof and there the hail is coming down and then there's the you know they need a space rescue mission and Kanamori yeah. is coming. You know, these are these are still sort of childhood flights of fancy, and so therefore the resolutions are innocent. There's no there's no horrible scene where somebody's holding a knife over a dead body. Like this is not happening here. <laughs> they're trying to. If it were someone, it would be Kanamori. <laughs> uh, it would be, uh, but and you know, there's lots of comic relief there in terms of Kanamori getting her way and even in this ep these episodes like where she blackmails the um 
air conditioning club. Oh, that's the best. (laughs) It it is fantastic stuff. Um, But at the same time, like, and in fact, she may be more towards that sort of comic relief and foil. And I'm very curious to see if her character is further developed. But certainly the duo of uh, Asakusa and, and Misusaki is more it's more innocent and it's creative and it's it's just a positive reinforcement that they keep drawing back into themselves and so the resolution of these plot points feels genuine and it feels natural um you know i can you mentioned this sign this scene from adaptation and um our readers or our readers gosh our listeners may not know um but there are people uh, who probably print out our entire show and then read it i pity those people <laughs> they'd have to tra- <laughs> they'd have to transcribe it but oh man i uh, no i i have attended the sundance film festival for oh are you gonna years now. do you want to bring that up again <laughs> i do but the thing about it, you know, I've seen some good movies and some hella bad movies. Yeah. And one of them comes to mind, which is, I do not remember the name because it was otherwise unremarkable. But uh, the the movie was about things that don't change. So it, it takes place in um, South America. These three boys get together and they conspire and they rob a mall. They get in, they rob a mall and they end up being rich and then they... They, you know, have these grand plans to get out of their back end town and change the world. Yeah. And they utterly fail at it. You know, they get, they end up getting robbed themselves. They get beat down. They're big plant. And they end up essentially back to exactly where they were at the beginning. And it's a profoundly unsatisfying movie, even <laughs> though it has all the hallmarks of um, violence. And it's got, you know, it's, it, it really reflects a, you know, a story of, of the fact that things don't change. You, know, you talk about like, well, what if you're trying to tell a story where things don't change? It's like, well, depending upon how you tell that story is a tremendous impact on whether or not it's going to be well-received by your audience. Mm. I There's mean, a another... bit of a parallel here in, to, um, to Sarazamai in the sense that like um, dramatic things definitely happen there, but at its core, it's about a story of boys who are facing major changes that will come with time and they're sort of they're sort of in that moment where in that sort of like valley between when those changes start to occur with rapidity and when they're sort of living in an eternal summer of adolescence it's very hard to tell a story i think that where your protagonists do not grow and change there is one exception to this rule that I can think of, and it is um, the Big Lebowski, where in fact your the dude does not change or grow; he remains impervious and static to all the the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that rain around around him, rain down around him, and so. <laughs> but. I think yes. it takes a master storyteller yes, to tell that I'm particular tale, and they do it in you know a very, a very amazing and eloquent way. That's just that's not that's not always the the case here. But what is happening here is we still get this growth and change. We still like I just I I have to say, scenes like what we saw in in episode seven, where we're where we're seeing about the grandmother. Like again, 
I want to stress. Welcome to my world. A, this is this anime, this anime, goes forward, yeah, and teaches us so much about the process of making animation that, like, we're we're watching a tutorial while we're watching a beautifully executed piece of art while we're watching a coming of age story of of three girls like this is this is honestly one of the most That's high praise uh, the the richest pieces of animation i've ever watched i'm cam i'm jory and we're the hosts of cwfp the casual wrestling fan podcast your weekly universe-friendly alternative for WWE wrestling recaps, discussion, and riffs from two friends who just love wrestling. And occasionally also New Japan, Impact, and All Elite thoughts as well. If you're tired of Marks constantly booing a product they <laughs> regularly support and pay for, you can find us hosted on the Orange Groves Network or through your preferred podcasting app. Wait, why won't The Undertaker stop booing the company? Hey Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe. I watch for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month, the best. Did, did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real life politics and events. I, I must have forgotten what. Where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? One of the challenges they face here is, as we talked about in the previous episode, Asakusa's kind of not-so-great instructions to the art club end up causing <laughs> chaos for her in that they, the, the one guy especially has ignored most of her rules. Well, I, I wanted to just correct you there because, yes, it's not just that she wasn't precise enough. It's also that they didn't listen <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he probably didn't quite understand it. Um, and yeah, I mean, everybody, it's like they're all doing this, you know, for the first or second time, right? Right. And some of her instructions were vague enough that he could insert his will, whether that was a conscious insertion or whether that was subconscious. But he basically says, you said we could do what we want with it. And she's like, yeah, but within my guidelines that I gave you on my image board, and he actually used her image board in the painting. Yeah. And he, and he also, I mean, the one thing that I couldn't get my head around was the yellow car. I mean, she clearly yeah, told him, do. don't paint the yellow car. Right. Don't paint the yellow car because the yellow car is a piece of animation that goes on top of the storyboard. And yeah. It, it really, that one was a big head scratcher. Yeah. And luckily Kubo, who's the one girl who seems to be, the most in the within the art department she's the only girl or the only artist who seems to get the whole idea of animation girls get it done 
Is that a boys reference? The boys? It was a boys reference. All right. You got me. Good. Good. It's just a weird way to, weird place to say that. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, what other um, challenges did you see in these two episodes that they had to overcome? Clearly, we didn't really see this, but the start of episode eight gave us the impression like, hey, they once again didn't really, they didn't execute fully. They're not going to have dialogue that's part of the, like, they, the dialogue had to be live. Yeah. Because they weren't able to sync it up. And to me, actually, that's a big deal, right? Like, I always understood, and maybe I don't fully appreciate the, the dialogue component, but you would get, like, you would have your scenes, you would get your actors to to speak the dialogue, and then you would draw the animation after the dialogue is spoken to align with, to align seamlessly with what was said, not having... Instead, people trying to like watch an animation and then sync up the the voice acting with that. That seems like it's much harder. I think that what's going on there is that they are voicing animatics, which are the sketches, the sketchy version of what's happening on the screen so that the actors have some idea of the timing of when they're supposed to be delivering lines. Like, I don't think the mouths are actually making the the right like sounds to... Or maybe they are, I don't know, but because we didn't really get to see the process in this one. But I I don't think, like, I remember, have you ever been to Disney World? They had, like, this thing where you could record dialogue for, like, uh, Beauty and the Beast or The Little Mermaid. So I have been to Disney World. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, <laughs> let, me, let me put it, make it clear for you and for our, our audience that... In Disney World, they have this one section of, like, one of their attractions. It might be, like, one of the attractions that you go through after you get off a ride, which is usually when you're a captive audience and you're willing to do lesser fun things. Yeah, you have no choice (laughs) at that point. in this case, it was pretty cool because they replaced the, the dialogue of a Disney movie, like The Little Mermaid or Pocahontas or Beauty and the Beast, with your own recorded dialogue that they, they put you in a sound booth and you record it. And uh, and I found it was extremely difficult when I was even 20 years old to, to keep up with it. Like, So were you, were, did you need to speak the lines at the proper time and in the correct cadence in order to... Yeah, but it's funnier animation? if you don't, right? I guess yeah, that's what course. the basis of the attraction is. So, is that, so you could just be saying, poopy, poopy, but face well, or something. Well, I'm sure that's what a lot of people did. I'm sure it was. I, yeah. I tried to do the real lines and instead it came out like this. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Well, it's just, I just garbled the words. Like, when the pressure came on me to like deliver the lines as quickly as they do, I realized how fast it was. Anyway, this is a... You gotta this, keep one jump ahead of the bread line, one ring ahead of the sword... Yeah, maybe. Or maybe you're slow. Well, I mean, I, if I recall, I was involved in quite a few musical theatrical productions uh, in our high school growing up. It was definitely my place. Well, luckily, this is the power of recording things. I yeah, now have man. your speed and I can take the actual recording oh, man. from the song <laughs> and play it over you to see how you did. 
I, you know what? <laughs> I do you want to make a bat? Do you want to make a bat right now? <laughs> throw down the gauntlet. I think I'm pretty close. Okay, okay. You gotta keep <laughs> one jump ahead of the bread line, one ring ahead of the sword. Aladdin. Another challenge that they face is the madcap antics that go down in episode eight. Um, when oh well, this is where they're trying to draw the audience, right? Yeah. I mean, I I was not expecting this scene. I gotta say, <laughs> it was fun. It was a little over the top. Um, it seemed like they were press ganging. They were bribing people into wearing those cardboard robot outfits that Mizusaki escaped in, in order to create a mass confusion for the <laughs> security club, which I'm guessing that's not a real thing. It, well, I'm not sure the AV club or not the AV club, the um, the air conditioning club is a, or what is it? The HVAC, I like the idea. I like the is. idea that they lord over the air conditioning and they, 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 they grip the power. It almost feels like when you see something that like that specific, you think like maybe the student council like maybe the student council like has like an iron grip on like who gets what i mean it, it if you were to extrapolate that a little bit you can really get a very interesting story about sort of the failure of right um, <laughs> of student government or any government to properly incentivize whatever might happen to be such that you've got all these little fiefdoms but uh, that's the, the word i was looking I, for fiefdom yes to, so what I, in some ways, this detracts, this episode detracted a little bit from the extremely warm feeling that episode seven gave me. In the episode seven talked about um, the Misusaki's backstory, about her mother, about her love of animation. And here we've got this very elaborate chase scene and you've got all the, the, the robot misdirection um, and it was clever and fun, um, but it also was not, it was not central to the creation of anime, if you will. No. It was just sort of a fun romp. It was and, a fun romp, um, yes. And I was happy to see a fun, or I, I didn't have a problem with a fun romp, but it wasn't, it wasn't that special sauce that to me has set Aizouken, uh ahead of itself. If it did anything um, right, it was that Mizusaki shows how much she's invested and it it put her in this strange manta ray costume, which was interesting. I wasn't really sure what the reference yeah, that was, was there. That I was very confused about that, but okay, go on. <laughs> but um, she's still adorable and people love her. And, you know, I just think that the ending really justifies everything else that comes before it. There's even a little bit of silliness with the parents. Like their movie is canceled because the director tried to kill the producer or something like that. Well, I actually thought that was an interesting mirror point to the fact that, look, you know, there can be a lot of tension in the creative process. And I, th I right. thought they were doing a little play on that in our own, uh, in, in the Azokin as well. I mean, I, again, it feel it, it's an incredibly high bar in my mind to come in to criticize this uh, this particular sequence of events because I thought it was done well and it was compelling to watch and it it held my attention. It just the the the, the particular style that I have that I like about this informative while also evocative animation that's been going on beforehand yeah. just 
you know, this was, again, a fun romp, and it was a fun romp, and you're right, it, it a lot of it is redeemed by sort of the, the emotional notes struck at the end that are um, redemptive um, without having to suffer a lot of pain or, you know, a lot of um, concern. It was, and Mizusaki is just bearing her soul. And so this is like, she's supposed to give a speech and it's supposed to be a big draw. And she's basically like, here's our animation. <laughs> I mean, well, I forget her exact words. No, she's they? about to start. And then Asakusa, who's a spaz, just freaks out and pushes the play button. But is that what happened? I thought, it, works I thought out, she was, it kind of works yeah. out in their favor because that first big explosion, which is all of the work they've been doing with Domeki, like personified, like it just blows away the audience right away. Like, and Mizusaki reads it perfectly and gets off the stage in a hurry. That's true. And as soon as she says the first couple of words, Sox is like, that's it. This is the time. <laughs> I push the button. I push the button. Oh, man. And kind of always like, no, what are you doing? Don't push the button. Asakusa is a terrible spaz. I mean, she's yes, a, she she's is. an adorable character, I, I will say. No, she is. And if we want to talk about them being adorable, we have to go back to the spa slash all you can eat crawfish if you can fish the crawfish fish place <laughs> all you can eat catch crawfish all you can eat catch crawfish is that how you say I, it well i, I don't just made so. it up i'm just i don't know of any parallels here in the u.s for that um no i mean i love crawfish i love getting them as a boiling bag and that's usually not all you can eat but there's not i, I can only eat so many crawfish. We, now that we are in our advanced dotage uh anything all you can eat has lost its luster <laughs> Oh, what about um, char, uh, Charascuro? No, like, um, not Charascuro. That's like the... I, like you're the talking about the, the Brazilian steakhouses. And yeah, the Brazilian steakhouses. Again, I, I want to be in the range pretty much 21 to 25 to go to that particular place. Like, I need to have a metabolism that is raging in order to really appreciate that you go there you eat a bunch of heavily salted meats you get you're absolutely stuffed because you want to get your money's worth and then you're you know if i went there now i would just be catatonic at the end of the evening and the next day i would feel horrible no not at all but what we did see was um Mizusaki's weird infatuation with splashing yep, there was liquids a... gets gets used against Asakusa, who, again, we have another thing that Kanamori doesn't like, although she doesn't actually phrase it that way this time, but she does not like that some that people who try to who try to get a bargain when they've already paid for stuff. <laughs> So, like, Asax is trying to, like, save water or something by using two different buckets or keeping the same bucket. And Kanamori's like, no, just use the buckets. You paid for it. Use it. And then... Yeah, she's like, well, why would you... You've already paid for this. Use it all. Like, there's no... Yeah. You don't, yeah. Cheap, don't cheap out on, like, what you've already paid for. Exactly. And Mizusaki then splashes her in the face. Or no, Kanamori splashes her in the face. And Mizusaki's like, do it again. Do it again. I want to watch the water. Do it again. And um, let me just say this about it. it, I don't know whether it was in episode seven or eight. But one description that I really liked was when Mizusaki was talking passionately about what it means to be an animator uh, when they are going through 
the they actually add sound to their uh, early animations, and it completely transforms what they're watching. And they explain to Kanamori like having proper sound takes pressure off the animator. And then Mizusaki's talking about what kind of things animation excels at. And she's talking about a pretty goldfish tail in the water. And she's talking about how anime is the best way to appreciate movement in the world. And I thought that was really neat. And I thought that kind of summed up like the lessons we learned about animation here in these two episodes across them. And with the final animation that we saw um, we really got to appreciate a lot of like how everything moves. It's, it's honestly the care taken in Izoken is also to me the care of people who are expressing. And, and I'm not just talking about the girls. I'm talking about the creators of Izoken. They are. This is a labor right. of love. Like they're showing you what it means to be an artist in this style of animation. And it makes you think about the world in an interesting way, too. Yeah. Do you remember the part where it was like talking about how boring a rocket looks when it blasts off? Unless you like like a rocket taking off into the sky by itself as an act of of happening. Not that cool. But add those big bursts of clouds and the shaking of the camera and the the, the little details, the the rumble, the 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 angle of the rocket as it as it as it crests like all of that adds up to make it have this sort of iconic and impress and like it leaves such a deep impression on you when you watch it in some ways i feel like animation itself and the this the impactfulness of what you're trying to convey the rocket is a good example the you know, we talked about the different you, you close-up angle here. You see the the shaking of the rocket. You see the paint falling off. You feel the thrust of the engines. You know, a lot of that is now what people are trying to capture in regular movies by the the use of careful editing and of of the scene selection. And it's it's just as important in both cases to really convey Absolutely. the power of a rocket. It's not enough to just sort of train your camera on the thing from you know, two miles out and watch it rise up into the sky. That's amazing. But it doesn't, you know, now you've got, you probably have some video producers even back in the 60s when they were filming these things being like, all right, go to the shot that's got the the rocket, you know, the, the booster firing. Go to, pull back to a long shot where you can see it slowly rise and give that, you know, I would not at all be surprised that they wanted to maximize the impact on their viewers, the, the momentousness of the event. Um, but with animation, it's sort of like everything gets to be momentous. Everything can have that power. Um, and, and I now appreciate all sorts of things about animation when I'm watching it. For example, if, if there's a particularly neat scene, I, I get less, um, what's the right word for it? I feel, I, I appreciate it more when I understand why they may show it to me multiple times not just because they're using it for filler which undoubtedly certainly they are but also because a really well-crafted piece of animation does such a good job of evoking the 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 core 
meaning of or the the core energy of whatever the scene is. I'm trying to use the words almost in sort of an you know the id of the of the action. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like a transformation scene in like uh, Power Rangers or something like. In the case, that's not animation, but they they mimic that same like that same feeling when they animate Sailor Moon or any of those uh, magical transformation type superhero anime. Oh, you mean like um, Kill a Kill? Yeah, exactly. Like you brought up Kill a Kill last time when we were talking about this in Sarazamai discussion as well. Sarazamai is also another animation that uses the same animation over and over again, but. I don't know. I'm kind of on the side of saying that, like, seeing something like that repeated makes it become iconic. Like, when I think back on Wonder Woman on TV, watching her transform by spinning around in a circle, like, it's hokey to a point, but it also sticks in your head for a very long time. Well, and you want to go back to the the earliest sort of repetition I can think of in that context from my TV watching is probably He-Man. Um, trans- you brought that up last week. I, I'm so sorry that I'm going back to the old staples. Um, By should the I power talk- of Grayskulls. Remember I called him Nathan and you said that his name is actually Adam? Yeah, well, <laughs> Not sure that's true. It's absolutely true. I refuse to look it yeah, up. Well, <laughs> you don't have to because I am telling you what it is. I mean, I, I guess there was also that same thing in... Um, Gosh, it's going to come to me. Thundercats. Uh, okay. At least that's not well, That's the not same the same one. stuff. Although, now that I think about it, it's clearly derivative of... <laughs> it's the same exact kind of thing, yes. But they were all a little bit alike. I'm trying to think. Did they ever resolve the Thundercats storyline such that it came to a... Because they were trying to, like, escape this this place that they crashed on. I'll have to look into that. I never I never watched it. The, I, I didn't like it like you did. I didn't. You and Jeff loved it. I, I like Thundercats. Yeah. You and our other friend were really into it, but it never it never appealed to me, and I don't know why. I think it was the weird guy. The, uh, it was like a weird, Mumra? squatty little, like... No, there was the this cat? weird, squatty little cat guy. Oh, I hated the cat. All Whoa. right, Don, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start wrapping this up, but Tsubame... Uh, she's talking to her parents and uh, she goes to get the cast lunch, uh, the crew lunch. And she's talking to her parents and she asks them a very loaded question. Have you ever been satisfied with your performance? And they both say no. And I'm kind of wondering, have you ever uh, done any acting or have you ever been satisfied with your singing? I mean, I absolutely stand behind that particular view that you never stop criticizing yourself in the performing arts, that you're always trying to make the next performance better than the last. Um, mm-hmm. And I I can think of lots of times where I was like, man, that was a terrible performance and I was heartbroken with how poorly I did it. But there were a couple performances where we did really well and I loved it. Like it was so there, there's, um, there is a state of being, um, which some scientists have termed flow. And there's a book actually flow that talks about sort of the, when you are focused and dialed in 
to a specific activity, you mm-hmm. it when it fully engages your mind, it's basically the best the best experience you can have. Like you it is time goes more quickly, you know, you are able to block out distractions or or you know things that are um bothering you or or mm. annoying you and and it's it's basically that frame of mind that we all tr- try to achieve in whatever the, you know any of the things that we are that are good that we do that are good you know this is this is sort of a state of being of state of mind that really encapsulates our um you know our existence we're basically chasing this flow and i i think it's it's actually a very interesting not philosophical but um psychological concept and uh it might be worth looking to more into but it's precisely the kind of thing that i would expect um misusaki to be experiencing when she's in in the process of creating an animation that she she loves that's cool no i i understand that and certainly i'm hard to talk to once i get full into an edit or anything where I have to do something creative. Um, I have ignored people trying to get my attention. I have. I mean, uh, you're good at that, regardless yeah. of whether you're in flow or not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I gave him the finger. That's what that sound was. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, that's, that's, for, for. That's the sound of me giving him the, the finger. It's the sound of silence. <laughs> Pachi. Paki? I don't know. I don't know the. I, we have to come up with the Giongo for giving someone the finger Please. because it would be very useful to have. Are right you now. telling me that there isn't one? There might be. I there feel be. there was one for like everything. Like maybe sh- like sh- I don't know. Well, um, I I do feel again that now we've come to the end of another four episode arc, and uh, I fully anticipate. I thought it was cool. I I um. I didn't love it in the sense of like I I love Izoken. Like what the girls are putting together is obviously a little more hard scrabble, a little more amateurish. Um but they had the big ideas and that I think is the sort of vision that you would want to see out of your uh out of your animation team. Like they're they're just kids and they're just working with what they've got. I, I you know, if the bones are good, then the rest of the product will be good. And I think that's what you see here. Um, yeah. And they're growing a lot each time. Yes. I mean, Kanemori realizes that she needs... Like, Asakusa calls her out. She's like, you need to have an eye for animation if you're going to be a, a successful producer. Right. Like, you can't, you you can't be so, so separated from the product that you don't know the yeah. good from the bad. Yeah. So, like, they're learning from each other. They're getting better at what they do. They're learning to delegate. Um, and they keep adding new elements that push their product higher and higher. We have four more episodes. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what they do in the final arc. It's It's been great talking to you again. Um, we really should do this more often. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to. Who knows? <laughs> Um, we have a lot of exciting things. I actually recently announced our next uh, slate of show of uh, intermissions and shows that are going to be following this. We're going to be covering um, The Night is Short, Walk On Girl, 
which is a semi-sequel to The Tatami Galaxy, but I've heard you don't have to watch the previous thing to watch the... And they're not actually connected, I don't think. But you don't have to watch that to understand the movie. It's just a really good movie. It's a good, really good anime. Uh, it's by the same director as Eizouken, um, Yuasa Masaaki. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. We also have Belladonna of Sadness, which was another recommendation by Victoria. So, you know, it's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and from what I looked at it, uh, I haven't watched it all yet. But from what I've seen, it's pretty fucked up. Uh, we'll also be doing a little bit of a special mega mix, uh, stories about the isekai, which is a, like a kind of subgenre of anime in which like people go to another realm. And I'll spoil this one thing, but the one thing I assigned myself was to read a story about a man who uh, is killed by a vending machine in the real world, and then he wakes up as a vending machine in a Japanese RPG-styled, like, Dungeons & Dragons world. <laughs> so, like, all those vending machines that just happen to be strewn about the landscape. Of course. You know, all these towns and stuff in Final Fantasy or whatever it is. There's, there's, a, there's a book about it. <laughs> in which that's the main character. So uh, you're going to get some assignments for me, including maybe uh, something called The Devil is a Part-Timer. <laughs> <laughs> when you say assignments, what do you what do you mean? Uh, we're only covering like one or two episodes or like one or two or like one book of like a comic book or something. So I'm going to assign you some of these like uh, isekai like things and you're going to take like a little dip into those waters. Sounds lovely. And as we talked about before, Beastars is coming back um, after we do Paranoia Agent, which is the Satoshi Kon TV series that came out. Uh, it's 13 episodes. Uh, that's going to be our series four. Yay! Um, after we do that, most likely Beastars will be on the horizon, if not already being released in Japan. So when we get the dub here and it gets its proper rollout on Netflix, that'll be our next series. So hopefully, fingers crossed that it's around March. Because that's when I'll be ready for it. That's when we'll be ready for it, basically. Um, but that's it. Yeah. You excited? Yes. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we have such a, a deep slate to, to go forward on. Are you jealous that I chose to do the one about a man who turns into a vending machine in a in a fantasy world is jealous the right word <laughs> relieved <laughs> i i welcome all all comers in the anime world uh, there's one about how someone becomes a slime i mean it's a slime is mobile that's true well i think the i think the Vending machine is carried on someone's back, but I could be wrong. Uh, There's only one way to find out. We'll have to watch it. There is only one way to find out. And so, you know, my worst nightmare, though, is that we do like six of these each, right? We each take six of them and we we digest our little corner of the world. And then we come in, we're like, I don't want to talk about any of this. It (laughs) all sucks. It's terrible. (laughs) 
No, but hopefully we'll be able to drink some wine and commiserate over that stuff. Cheers. Everybody, thank you for listening. Now what I want you to do is put down those Slim Jims. Stop snapping into your Slim Jims, folks. Stop snapping into them. Go to iTunes and leave us a review. A really good one. I don't want any bad reviews. (laughs) Please, if you like the show, please leave us a really good five-star review. Tell everybody how much you like it and that you that you want everybody to watch it. It's the funniest thing ever. I don't know. Or it's the most informative or I'm super cute. And Don is like, um, not super cute, but that's respectable. Don is respectable. Erudite. (laughs) He's erudite. I've used that word to describe him multiple times, but please go to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps with the algorithm. And I really want to get more people listening so that I can do more crazy stuff. And I'm crazy. So you want to see that. It's true. She is crazy. Come next week, we'll know who the president is. <laughs> I I do not... Until it is February, I, I make no promises. Now, I have a date with a PlayStation 5, so I'm going to go and do that. And I have a date with my wife, so... Okashiku koyo! Okashiku koyo! The magic of editing is going to bring us together, right? No. <laughs>